It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm so excited that you're tuning in today. We're continuing in our study of the millennium. That's right. We're, we're going back to Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 to 15, and really just highlighting some of the details about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And to do that, you have to really examine some of the other prophetic books. That's right, you've got to go back to Ezekiel and Isaiah and others, uh, because we don't have a lot of content in the book of Revelation about this wonderful time, this thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. But what we do have calls us to go and be the Bereans, go back and study for ourselves, examine all 18 prophetic books, and what happens then are all the puzzle pieces come together, and you get this wonderful image of this coming reign of our King. And it's something that we're to celebrate. So to help me do that, Dr. Steve Ford is back in the studio. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. It's great to be back. And I really, I wasn't here, but I really enjoyed listening to the show last week and uh-huh. our rewards and the Bema seat. And we have so many things to look forward to. And I thought Amen. you just made great points in, in how we should live our Christian walk in regards to those rewards and and just being able to, the whole purpose, being able to cast those crowns at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And the, Amen. And the joy that, that we'll get from that. I think that's wonderful. In our continuing discussion today, as as we continue to move forward talking about the millennium, can you summarize what is taking place during the millennium? Oh, I'm so glad you asked because, yes, we've been really this in this prelude to the millennial reign as we've talked about what happens to the believers and this this time with the wedding feast with the Lamb. And, and after we, we talked about what happened after Armageddon and the seven-month cleanup. And, of course, they were gathering for seven years, and the cleanup takes seven months. And we see all that written out for us in Ezekiel right. 38 and 39. And, and so you've got the, this great sequence that really breaks down. I love the chronological order of Ezekiel. That really, it's setting all of these pieces together for us and filling in a lot of the the gaps that we're expected to know before we even read Revelation, and then all these pieces come together. And so, yes, now let's get into really some of the specifics about the thousand-year reign itself. And and let me just preface our discussion today with some encouragement as we go through this, because really the whole point of this is that we just have such joy as believers knowing that the King is coming, and when He does, He's going to set up the reign that we've all longed for. When justice prevails on the earth, when we have right governance and, and we've got the the perfect system put into place of agriculture and sustainability of life and families and all coming to worship Jesus Christ. It is this wonderful display of the authority of Jesus Christ, even before the new heavens and the new earth, which we'll talk a little bit about that too. Sometimes that gets blended together. We think of them as, as one and the same, and, and uh, that's not accurate. And so what we need to do is just understand there is a thousand-year reign of the Lord. Uh, there is a culmination of events that take place, and then there's a new heaven and a new earth as we see uh, they're described beautifully in the book of Revelation as well. So here we're in Revelation chapter 20, and let me just highlight for you here that there's going to be a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to try to give them all to you, but I just want our listener right now 
just to know that it's important for you to go back and study this for yourself because I don't want you to just take my word for it. I, I want, if anything, to just uh, prompt perhaps an urgency in your heart. I need to know more about this. <laughs> I've been talking about this for a long time, been going to church perhaps for a long time, and I just don't know all that much about it. Uh, so I can only do so much on the radio here, but let me just highlight the fact that this thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ begins after the destruction of the beast, the false prophet, the fall of Babylon, and the binding of Satan. <laughs> Those are yeah. all wonderful things, right? That's a celebration right that there. Is. And Isaiah actually highlights quite a bit of this too, Isaiah chapter 2 and 11. Uh, we also see that covered in chapter 24, 32, Isaiah 60 to 66, Ezekiel 36 to 48, Zechariah 14, amongst many others. So we often use Revelation as our roadmap, but really there's quite a bit covered there. Uh, Revelation 20 to 22 are great uh, sources as well. But all the nations will bow before Jesus Christ. We've heard that, that every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And we see in Matthew 24, 7, Philippians 2, Psalm 22, amongst many others. So Jesus and the believers, thats this is the key here, the believers are given responsibilities. We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks, but the believers with Jesus, and Jesus is the head over it all, will reign over the earth for 1,000 years, and they're called called the kings or the royal priesthood. That's really what I put our attention on the last couple of weeks of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and 5, even 1 Peter 2. But Jesus is in the line of David, and he reigns over Israel and the whole earth, according to Isaiah 2 and Zechariah 14. King David is, what we understand about him is he still has a role. So as we're all resurrected unto life, those who die before us are resurrected, and those who perhaps uh, get to experience the joy of the rapture, right. caught up in the air right. altogether. Well, King David actually has a role to play. According to Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 9, Ezekiel 34 and 37, it seems to indicate there that he will rule once again over Jerusalem specifically, <laughs> while Jesus Christ is there reigning from his temple over the whole world. So you've got the wonderful display of both King David ruling over the city and Jesus Christ ruling over the world there from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is the capital of the world. Even today, all world events seem to revolve around Jerusalem, right? So the population will increase under this everlasting covenant when the Lord's throne is on the earth, as we see in Ezekiel 37, 26 to 27. We've talked about that before, and sometimes our minds just can't wrap around the idea that those who have been resurrected unto life, those who have been caught up in the air, even as 1 Corinthians 15 describes, we receive a new body. We're now in an, an immortal state, reigning on the earth with Jesus Christ, and there are mortals still on the earth. So we'll talk about that here in a moment. But the remaining exiles all returned to Israel. It was quite a, a statement of prophecy in 1948 when Israel became a nation. But we do see that there are those of the Jewish line even still scattered around the earth, even of the missing tribes of Israel the, the ten lost tribes, as often as they're called, uh, they're still exiles. And all of them come back to Jerusalem, according to Jeremiah 30, 31, and Isaiah 27. As king of Israel, the Lord himself gathers these exiles from all the nations, according to Isaiah 11, 10 to 16. And then the Lord beckons the Gentiles to bring them all back, right? He's almost, it's like a beacon has gone out because, and according to Ezekiel 48, the land is redistributed once again to all these tribes. So the God God honors his promises, right? So the land is full of people. It's still full of people, as we see in Isaiah 49 and Ezekiel 36. The national 
uh, entity of Israel is now included in a new covenant. And you see that in Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8, a covenant of peace where Israel is God's people and the Lord is their God. And we see that in Jeremiah 30 and Zechariah 13, Israel's forgiven, cleansed from sin and impurity in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. And it's all done even in a single day, as we see Zechariah 3, 9, very similar to what we see the single day of the birth of the nation of Israel, that in an hour even, right? I mean, it's this unbelievable prophecy as we see of, of the rebirth of Israel in 1948. And we have a very similar imagery even during the time, the reign of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm just struck by, as you describe all these things, it's really what the Jews were expecting with the first coming of Jesus Christ, as you describe. Right. These are you know, all the things they were looking for, all the things that they were expecting him to be. Well, now we see that fulfilled in the millennium. Yeah, that's right. Amen. And, and, and I think that that's kind of the glimpse, even in 1948, is that you know we have Israel just reborn in a day. I mean, it's this, uh, this amazing thing. And then, of course, you have the defense of Israel right, that seems supernatural. Wars. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah, the Six-Day War and so forth. You just have God's supernatural intervention time and time again. And so we get this wonderful sort of foreshadowing of even a future event with the millennial reign of Christ. And so there's a new heart, a new spirit. God's spirit is in them, poured out on them, Ezekiel 36 and 39. And Israel's righteousness is then seen by all the nations of the earth, of Isaiah chapter 62, verse 2. So the, some of the really amazing things in all of this, too, is where we start to go, well, how, how is the world itself, ecologically, environmentally, changed by the reign of Christ and what's going on, because we've read some fascinating things, that there's peace with nations and with wildlife. So even with the animals, and and that's where we start to blend between, because the the verbiage sounds so much like the new heavens and new earth, but then you start to see, wait a minute, the the verbiage and the construct of the text, when we take it all in proper context, is actually speaking of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And we see that in Isaiah chapter 2 and 11 and chapter 60, uh, Jeremiah 30, even Micah 4, 3, and of course, throughout Ezekiel. But if we read specifically, listen to this, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den." They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we have this peace with mankind and animal life, and this is the image during Christ's reign. Uh, Jerusalem is secure, never to be destroyed again. I I think that's powerful as we see Jeremiah 31.40 and Zechariah 14.11. It's fitting because its name has meant the city of right. peace. And despite that fact, it's been, it's been attacked but, like yeah. 52 <laughs> times, besieged 23 times, ransacked 39 <laughs> times, destroyed, rebuilt three times, recaptured 44 <laughs> times. And that doesn't even include what we're going to see throughout the book of Revelation, right? So the city of peace finally becomes the city of the peace. City of peace. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the land being transformed. So we've talked about the wildlife, but the land itself is also transformed. The land around Jerusalem is transformed significantly, according to Zechariah 14. It's like a, a curse has been lifted. The land is is replenished and, and vibrant to live. 
and Jerusalem is raised up in Isaiah 2 and in Zechariah 14 and Micah 4. There's a river that flows from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Not just the Dead Sea, but the Mediterranean Sea, all from Jerusalem. So talk about a topography change. We talked about those four earthquakes that affect even the landscape of Jerusalem that will set up the temple that we'll talk about perhaps next week. Um, But here we have the Dead Sea and Mediterranean being fed by a river that flows from Jerusalem, Ezekiel 47 and Zechariah 14.8. This river changes the Dead Sea to fresh water with fish, according to Ezekiel 47.8-10. There's fruit trees of all kinds that line the river for food and for healing, according to Ezekiel 47.7-12. We're also told that all these cities that were destroyed, and only imagine after Megiddo, the Battle of Megiddo, there's a Battle of Megiddo in 1918, and then, of course, a future event in which all these nations come together to war against Israel and, of course, against its Messiah, Jesus Christ. And and the cities are wiped out, and there's a massive cleanup operation. Well, the, Jerusalem is rebuilt, according to Jeremiah 30:18. The towns are all rebuilt, according to Ezekiel 36, all the way to um, uh, even through um, 35. And then we have the foreigners even come to rebuild in Isaiah 60, verse 10. So it's sort of a collaborative effort that not only the Israel, the tribes of Israel coming back to the land of Israel, but the Gentiles also partaking in that yeah. and coming to help rebuild the land. So it becomes prosperous and productive trees and crops, almost like the Garden of Eden all over again, as we see in Ezekiel 36, 35. And it says the bounty of the Lord, grain, wine, oil, flocks, and herds all come out of this new prosperous land of Jeremiah 31. And every man has a vine and a fig tree of Zechariah 3 and Micah chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. So the wealth of the nations are brought to Israel. We see that in Isaiah 60. The people build houses, plant vineyards, enjoy the work of their hands. I love that part. They actually enjoy it. (laughs) They enjoy the labor. Isaiah 65 and Jeremiah 30, verse 5. And then, and I think Dr. Forwee has probably spent a great deal of time on this, human life changes. So not only is our interaction with wildlife changed, but the landscape has changed, the productivity of the land, everything else seems to ecologically be changed. Human life is extended. There will be immortals with mortals. We've talked about that. First Corinthians 15, Philippians 4, Revelation 2, Ezekiel 44, and so forth. So, but you do have these immortals with mortals, and those mortals have an extended life. As we see in Isaiah 65, 20, a person 100 years old will be considered a child. So you have something changed here where the very design of humanity almost going like to before the right, flood, yeah. right? So maybe we can spend a little time talking about that yeah. and just talk about why. Maybe, right. maybe some theories. Exactly. No, I think <laughs> so be great. Let's interrupt this program for <laughs> theoretical perspective now on how that happens because Jesus Christ is on the scene. The thousand-year reign has begun. Uh, we have come back with the Lord but how is it that mortals suddenly have this right. gift of a longer life, that even a child is but 100 years of age? Uh, that, that does take us back to the before the flood, right? That, that we see that even Methuselah, you've heard that name a time or two, he lives 969 years, according to Genesis chapter 5, verse 27. His name means when he dies, judgment, which was very fitting, that he would be the longest living man on the earth before the judgment would come. That speaks to the mercy of God, it does. right? He didn't want to bring judgment. He wants to give all an opportunity to repent. Amen. And to be saved. That's the heart of our God. 
Okay, let me just throw out some theory, and Dr. Ford, we can bounce this around a little bit. I love theory, right? (laughs) Um, Okay, so just preface that. This is theory. Now, uh, this particular theory came out around the 80s. I remember as an 80s kid growing up, I had all these books. My mom made sure I had Set the Trumpet to Thy Lips, uh, Late Great Planet Earth. I mean, we had all these. I mean, I'm I'm barely a a new believer now, 10 years of age, and I've got this library of the end times, right? And, And some of the theories that were presented were like the polar axis shift theory. Now, Listen, if, if God shifted the polar axis of the earth during the flood, I just want you to follow me here. We talk about the rains falling, but it seems that something else also occurred in the midst of all of this, of the rains falling from heaven, perhaps even a canopy that's erupted, that it's, it, it collapses down on the earth, and, and we read of, of the grounds breaking up and the waters of the deep bursting forth and the waters crashing down. It's causing this cataclysmic devastation that wipes out all life on Earth. Massive environmental changes. I mean, they found frozen woolly mammoths with food still in their mouths, almost like they were. Suddenly, their environment changed instantly. I mean, they're just enjoying a meal, and boom, they're frozen as they stand with food still in their mouth. And it's followed by this climate change that reduces the age of men from almost a thousand years of age, nine hundred sixty-nine years of age with Methuselah to 120 years or less. And we go back to Genesis 6-3. Moses would become the first patriarch to live to 120 years, around seven to 800 years after God's decree. And we see that in Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. So some say that Genesis 6-3 was speaking about the number of years it would take Noah to build the ark. But really, when you take into account of how old his sons were, it's probably around 94 years. So the 120 years seems to allude possibly to something else. I mean, we see that the flood lasted 40 days of Genesis 7:17, and that the flood waters prevailed for 150 days, according to Genesis 7:24. But how long before the land was suitable for Noah and his family to leave the ark was 370 days, and then you add the seven days before they even... The floodwaters came because they were seven days before the ark, according to Genesis 7-4. Before the floodwaters came, they were in the ark seven days before. So about 377 days they were on this ark, and the land is being changed all around them during this time. It's interesting that Peter uses the flood as a comparison with regard to the end of days before the coming of the Lord in 2 Peter 3, 4-9. And even Christ used the flood as a comparison in Matthew 24, 36 to 44. He didn't cite Sodom and Gomorrah or Egypt in that. He talked about before the days of the flood. So I believe that there's a climate change. (laughs) Okay, hang on. Uh, Before you tune me out here, I believe there's a climate change that's not on Al Gore's radar, that no force on earth can stop, and it's coming in the form of judgment just as it did before the flood, where the canopy collapses, massive cataclysmic shift upon the earth that changes everything, even perhaps the very climate itself, all changed. And so when you have that, you have to ask yourself, is this part of what we consider to be the polar axis shift theory? And and so when we look at what's coming in the book of Revelation, I know, Dr. Ford, before the program, we were talking about all of the messaging we hear time and time again about climate change, climate change, all of the agendas of the United Nations and so forth, the propaganda that's going in all of this climate change discussion. If you talk about it long enough, people believe it, that it's my fault. I drive a car. I'm to blame for all of the climate change. Earth's getting warmer instead of getting colder. And and that's been going on since the 70s, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, I was a kid in the 70s and it was cold. Right. I was in Michigan. We had a ton of snow and 
there was a, a Time Magazine article right there on the front page, right on the cover. Are we heading into another ice age? So in the 70s, it was all about heading into another ice age. And by the 90s, we were talking about global warming. Right. Yeah. And it's like, okay, which one is it? Yeah. Uh, which one's kind of, <laughs> It's almost like, oh, which propaganda can we sell the best? Right. And, and I say that uh, tongue in cheek here because the, Revel- the book of Revelation outlines a number of cataclysmic events and seismic events, uh, ecological changes, unlike what we've ever recorded in human history. And, and so I'm getting to a point of, of what I believe is going to be an environmental change just in time for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And it's, it has nothing to do with carbon emissions. It has nothing to do with how many cars we're driving. It's about the sin of men, right? I mean, this is God's judgment on sin. And when we read the book of Enoch, and that is a non-biblical text, what you do is if you put side by side what happened during the flood, according to his writings— with side-by-side of what happens during this ecological devastation upon the earth during the book of Revelation, during those final seven years before the coming of the Lord, they almost match. Wow. So that's why I want us to at least consider the fact that it's beyond just rain falling from heaven. The earth was changed. I mean, listen to what happens in the book of Revelation and just some of our brief time together. The sun goes black. The moon becomes blood red, earthquakes, stars fall from the sky, according to Revelation 6, 12 to 17. A third of all the trees and vegetation are burned up, Revelation 8, 7. A meteor-like object, a mega oros, strikes the earth, destroys a third of all ocean life and ships during the second trumpet judgment, Revelation 8, 8 to 9. This asteroid-like object destroys a third of all fresh water in Revelation 8, 10 to 11. The light from the sun and the moon and the stars are diminished by one-third due to possible atmospheric changes in Revelation 8, 12 to 13. Everything in the oceans then die in Revelation 16, 3, right as the bold judgments are poured out. All fresh water is corrupted in Revelation 16, 4 to 7. Men are scorched by the heat of the sun like fire in Revelation 16, 8 to 9. Darkness covers the land, Revelation 16, 10 to 11. The Euphrates River dries up, Revelation 16, 12. There's a massive lightning storm, earthquake that devastates the whole world. Every mountain and island disappear, according to Revelation 16, 17 to 20. A massive hailstorm so large that each hailstone is like 75 pounds or more, according to Revelation 16, 21. So we watch these movies, like Roland Emmerich movies, like The Day After Tomorrow, 2012, Geostorm, and then we just stuff our faces full of popcorn as we were entertained (laughs) by all of this. But if we start to think scientifically in this, that maybe God just reached out and turned the earth 23 and a half degrees, and a massive cataclysmic devastation upon the earth causes the flood the first time, and then through those seven years of judgment— it's happening all over again in preparation for the coming king. It starts to look very different as far as how it's how all of this happens. I read an article, Dr. Ford, about what the world might look like if you were to change and move the polar axis by 23 and a half degrees. Listen to this. New springs rise up. The skies are cleansed. Water purified. The land restored. The seasons would be the same everywhere without radical temperature changes. You would have 12 hours of day, 12 hours of night, a perfect climate balance just by moving the polar axis. Weather then would be stabilized without tropical storms 
thereby extending life with more lush and sustainable environments suitable for crop rotation and human life. Does that not sound like the perfect utopia for Jesus Christ to come and reign in? All by moving the polar axis 23 and a half degrees. That's nothing for God. He just reaches out with his hand and turn it. That's it. (laughs) And then all of this cataclysmic events hit the earth. The earth is perfectly changed, ready for the king to come. And what happens is he does that because of the judgment on a godless people. And in the midst of it, he still offers hope. That's that's the heart of our God. I, I, I think this climate change, even now, is not a direct result of carbon emissions, but on the judgments of God upon sinful people. And that escalates in those final seven years before the coming of the Lord Jesus. I often think about it from, you know, just I, I'm not an herbologist. Uh, I'm not a, a guy who goes out in the forest and appreciates all the different types of trees. Although, like you, I, I find they're all beautiful. Right. Love this time of year and yeah. going out and seeing the, the fall leaves and the change of colors. But the Ceratinus type cones of the jack pine and the uh, table mountain pine and, and the lodgepole pine, some of those come to mind here, they're all a type of seed they require an environmental trigger. So in order to be released, you need like a forest fire, right? right? So the seed opens and it creates new life after a natural disaster. So God seemed Mm. to design it this way, that as he resets the environment for the coming of the king, what looks like to be total devastation and there's nothing joyous to come out of the end of it actually is the opposite. It's like a giant forest fire came through, all the seeds of life open, new life springs forth, and something beautiful comes together wow. just as God had told us it would happen. Yeah. Again, that's theory. Yeah. It's theory <laughs> that it could be the polar axis shift. God can sure. do it however he wants. He doesn't need to do it that way. But if anything, Dr. Ford, I think that we can set the stage now for our discussion next week as we then talk about what worship looks like to yeah. Jesus Christ. Right? So I want to encourage you, if you've been listening today, if you caught the whole program, uh, please go back and listen to it again at Calvary Fountain. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday, and we would love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.